Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. It's the B&E Podcast doing our not-so-serious Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, in the hundreds, Evan. In the hundreds, 101. 101. Like the Dalmatians of the Disney variety. This is number 101, eh? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, and uh, what, who you are hearing is our guest today. We have Mark Mulhern. Hey, everybody. How's hey. it going? Yeah. A, uh, He's an a, Irish motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Good friend of mine. Who um, is an artist and an illustrator, yep. and uh, of an artistic mind. I've had many a good chat with oh, him <laughs> already about uh, all kinds of terrific things, art and life yep. related. And I thought, you know what? He should come on. It'd be, it'd be fun to have him on. Yeah. Also, I heard it was free beer, so... Oh, yeah. Yep. That's that. Uh, Except <laughs> you also brought beer. I also brought just, beer, but there is free beer, so... It just must be the, the Irish in it, just to make sure we get a little extra. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. He said that. Oh, nice. <laughs> I literally say, uh, when you called Evan earlier, uh, and you said, Evan said that I brought beers, like, it should just come hand in hand. Yeah. An Irish man, if an Irish man's coming to your house, he's probably going to bring beers. Yeah, you know how to earn your key. More than likely. <laughs> <laughs> You can't come empty-handed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just polite, yeah. right? Absolutely. So, but yeah. you are actually, I think, the first guest to actually bring beer onto the show. There yeah, you go. You're so. the first grateful one. <laughs> a number 101, so it's a significant number. Yeah, yeah we're in a new generation of podcasting. <laughs> it should be. It should be mandatory to bring beer. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna start. You'd have you'd have a serious stash of beer. Passively, aggressively telling people, yeah. you don't have to bring beer. But if you, <laughs> but if you want to, you know, be painted in a nice light on yeah. the podcast, yeah, we do swear. <laughs> we're drinking a, a good stout at the moment. I don't know what. Yeah, let's, bring it, let's bring it up already. All right, so, yeah, is it too early? Why not? No, it's not too early. Because someone's like, oh no, you know, I wait till about seventy minutes in. They always answer about the beer right about then. It's like, no, it's we're like, doing this. If right you're listening to this entire podcast, just to like listen to us talk about the beer then I think that there's plenty of other podcasts that will serve you better yeah, that is like get out yeah. it's like we talk about it for like two minutes yeah. but it's two yeah. minutes of 90 maybe it's, someone like is really like they're like their taste is exactly like mine so they just want to know yeah you know and maybe they've like had the beers that we've had and they've been like that's what I thought about it <laughs> But yep. we can talk about it right now. So right. you brought it up. Yeah, so. it's been a while since I had a good stout. Don't, don't as, push, Evan, don't as Evan me. knows. Yeah. <laughs> as Evan knows, Guinness is Guinness is the king. You like Guinness? Yeah. I yeah, like but Guinness. No, you like you like. Oh, I like Murphy's. You too. like Murphy's? Yeah. 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 And I like I like Murphy's from when I was yeah. in Ireland. That was that was my. Um, yeah, so Murph- Murphy's is a is a a, a brand of of uh, stout that's lo- that's only in Cork, only in Cork City or Cork County. Yeah. So you won't get it anywhere else. And I went to college at Cork. I, I did graphic design for four years there. Mm. Um, so I had many the point of Murphy's. <laughs> Cork's a great place, yeah. man. Love that place. It's a great city. Uh, it's my favorite city in Ireland, definitely, without a doubt. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's craft beer is taken off there. Right? Like I was saying this to you, it's Cork and Dublin are the two ones. Yeah. Uh, when I went back, I went back for a visit in, in, in Halloween, and I couldn't believe how many craft beer um, places were after opening up. 
Yeah, it reminded me of Vancouver a lot. It's good. You know, it's good to yeah. have good beer. Exactly. Oh yeah, that's local. Mm-hmm. And this local brew is from Port Moody, BC, um, and it's from Yellow Dog, and it is a coconut stout. Oh, a coconut stout! Never would have guessed that. All right, you know I got <laughs> it. I'm reaching for it again. I know <laughs> you guys really liked it when you first tasted it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I like coconut salt. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like it. Because so. when I drink, I'm like, it's not it overwhelming this, though. That's it has this yeah. kind of nice, so good. mellow sweetness to it. And I thought, is that like, it's almost chocolatey, but I'm like, but there's something there and I couldn't quite put it into it. And it's like, that's, and it's coconut. It's 100% coconut. Totally. And the thing is, is like, a lot of time when you have like a coconut drink of some sort, it's like too coconutty. It's like just, it was enough that you guys couldn't tell what it was immediately. But then once I said it, you're like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I think that's like a really good like crafting of the beer. Yeah. Definitely. I uh just a, a side side note. I once tried to um create a euphemism uh with some friends I submitted to uh the Urban Dictionary called the toasted coconut. They didn't approve. What was it about? I don't know if it's this is the best story ever. I, 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 don't, I don't know if it's necessarily story time appropriate. With Evan. We've like we swear on the show, but we don't get like kind of gross like this actually was. Oh really? Yeah, it was. It was kind of yeah. It was like a sex act. Toasted <laughs> coconut. And you're gonna let us fill in the blanks there. Like, yeah. yeah. That's great. Ooh, yeah. Toasted coconut. I don't yeah. know what that would be. Yeah, I, I have some ideas. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. I'll tell you I'll tell oh, you at the end good. of it all. <laughs> it is pretty good. Everyone who I've ever told about it, they're like, Oh that's good, I can't believe they turned that down. Uh, that's nice. Um but maybe it's because they are like, It's not a real thing. We don't know anybody who's actually done that before. Mm. But I feel like we'll half of the things that. that are on like Urban Dictionary have never actually been done by this somebody. This was before Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> My Ur- Urban like, Dictionary. Oh yeah, that's happened yeah. to me. Urban Dictionary <laughs> is one of the funniest, fun- funniest websites. It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, the evolution of the English language is crazy. I was I was talking about my uh, this uh, talking about this to my friend there a while ago. Uh, like everything is getting shorter and shorter. And shorter and shorter until it's just fucking almost one word to describe something, you know. <laughs> is, that, is that how a language evolves? It, you know, back in the day it would have been long sentences to describe something. Yeah, now it's just it's getting more and more concise. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I feel that, like though a lot of the the language that was used back in the day was a lot of posturing. Mm. You know, you read, it's like, it's a lot of needless language, you yeah. know, it was just like a lot of like, look at my command of the English language, aren't you so impressed? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, probably I don't know, I feel like you could have got to the point, <laughs> you know, like, I feel like you're being needlessly complicated in, in the way that you're explaining something. But yeah. It's funny, because I find that the countries that have spoken English longest, so, okay, the United Kingdom, yeah. you have more slang words in the UK and Ireland than you do anywhere else. Yeah. That's because we've been speaking it for so long. You get well, tired of it. Slang words in Ireland, like, <laughs> if I was talking to my Irish friends, I would be a lot different to, yeah. know, I'm talking to Canadian. I'm very conscious of some of the words I say. Yeah. Because it just goes over people's heads. Well, you, know, you know, it's really interesting. I remember um, a few years ago when I was traveling through Europe with my, uh, with my fiance, we, uh, we were in Bruges. And it was like a, it was a weekend and yeah. stuff. So we'd gone out drinking and partying and stuff. And, uh, I met this guy, I can't remember where he might've been Irish actually. 
Oh, yeah? He was an Irishman, but he spoke, like, five different languages and, like, had traveled the whole world. And he was telling me that, um, because he asked me because I'm Canadian. He's like, do you speak French? I'm like, no, not, not really. I'm like, I never really fell in love with, like, the Quebec, like, style of French, which is what is, is, like, kind of taught. And he's like, but I kind of re-fell in love with it you know, after having gone and toured through France and stuff like that. But he was telling me, he's like, oh, he's like, but the thing that's so cool about the French they speak in Quebec is that it's like from 400 years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He's like, so he's like new French has so much slang in it yeah. now. Right. Like there's so much, it's, it's always yeah, it's been a part of the like, culture. Yeah. Right. So it's just like, it moves and adapts like the English language does. But in like Quebec, they're like very, there's, they're more structured about it. Yeah. So it's like, you're listening to a version of French that like, doesn't exist anywhere else anymore. Yeah. Oh, that, that was, was amazing. Right. But anyhow, um, I just wish I learned French cause the girls in Montreal are so hot. <laughs> <laughs> you were, you were in Bruges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what, have you ever seen the movie in Bruges? I have. It's amazing. Have you seen it? Right, right, oh, right. I love that movie. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, oh, that was, that, I remember movie. that year. It's, seeing that that movie I'm like oh I've been hearing so much great great stuff about this yeah. movie and and I it was kind of like a rebirth of of Colin Farrell for me oh he's excellent yeah like, Colin Farrell in that role that he's when he's tongue-in-cheek if it's a tongue-in-cheek role it's perfect yeah. for him yeah he's very he's very good that, yeah. oh like that role I mean that's Brendan, his best role Brendan Gleeson Ray oh, Fiennes that was a fantastic film yeah. that best like, screenplay for Oscars right that year um, did it? When best, I thought it best won, original yeah. screenplay? I thought it won best original. I know that Colin Farrell actually did win the Golden Globe he for best Golden comedy Globe. performance. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of weird because, yeah, it wasn't comedy, but it was it really was. dark. It was dark humor. It was, dark. It was, it was so he, dark. He, there, he had me in stitches a couple of times because oh, real, yeah. real Irish humor, too. Real Irish yeah. humor. Man, I feel like uh, watching that movie again. And so it's like for the, uh... <laughs> when he <laughs> goes up to him, he's like, hey, just starts poking him in the head. And he's like, why didn't you wave hello to me when I wave yeah, hello to yeah. <laughs> That's Peter Dinklage, isn't it? Yeah, it is Peter yeah, Dinklage. Yeah, yeah. First and like, he's just like, I was high on horse track <laughs> Like, I wasn't waving hello to anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And it's like, like there's a, the very end scene, I wonder, I hope I'm not spoiling it for anyone that's listening now. If I am, cover your ears. <laughs> the very end scene, um, where Brendan Lee is on top of the tower. Yeah. That song, the, I don't know if you know the song, the song is a really famous Irish poem. It's called Raglan Road by Luke Kelly. So Luke yeah. Kelly's a absolute legend. He's been dead for 25 years, but he's a legend in Irish. Like he's an Irish singer that everyone knows. Yeah. And his voice is so, so like he'd spot it straight away. Yeah. You know, you know it's Luke Kelly. Uh, but that, that whole scene, I got goosebumps when I was, he was crawling up the steps and he jumped yeah. off. Just that song was perfectly put into it. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite songs because, um, all he does, I don't know if, you, if you've heard a, a YouTube version of it, it's just one chord on, the, on a guitar and him singing. It's mm. a, he's just playing it over and over again. And he doesn't even need the guitar, he's just doing it just for the sake of it. Yeah. It's a kind of, it's a kind of sound that you don't need any music just for. Just like a little something. Yeah. I was, one of the things that I, I loved about seeing Ireland and, and like every place that I went, like whether it was, and I didn't get up north, but yeah. like in, in Cork in Galway, in Killarney, in Dublin, the amount of music 
Oh, my. In Ireland yeah. is insane. Yeah. The amount of people who sing and play instruments yeah. and such a connection to oh. to like your your roots, yeah. like to like the folk music and stuff. Like it was just incredible. Yeah, like there was new. great like I remember um in Killarney I actually went into like uh it was like a whiskey bar. Yeah. Like almost pretty much straight up whiskey bar, which <laughs> blew my mind. Like there was a couple of different beers, but you went in and there was like, it was for whiskey, drinking all kinds of whiskey. So yeah. I sat in there, drank whiskey. And there was this amazing three piece band playing instruments. I'd never even seen before. What were they, and, play? were they playing the accordion in the box? Um, no. there might, you know, I know there was like a guitar in there, but there was like another sort of stringed instrument that I'd never seen before. <laughs> that was kind of laid across the, a lap. It was some kind of a yeah. lap guitar or something. Um, but it was very unusual yeah. and they were, they were playing nothing but folk music in there. It was insane. But then had an amazing night in Galway where it was all these like live bands playing like, rock and, and I saw, um, uh, what is it? Like, a like a rockabilly band, an yeah. Irish rockabilly band that just totally, I was like, what? <laughs> and this doesn't even make sense, but they, they were so good. Yeah, man. It's uh, like for me, trad music traditional music is is uh, I love it I love it it's, it's, it's amazing but it's kind of dying out in bigger cities mm. so Galway's keeping it alive definitely yeah. Galway's a lot of trad but it's funny because if you go to a small town and you go into a bar uh, you could see it you could see an old trad band in there and generally they're paid in pints <laughs> <laughs> I swear to god they just keep putting pints in front of them when they play yeah that's the payment exactly so you have lads in their 50s playing all their lives and they just put Guinness in front of them they stay playing all night yeah next to a fire that's awesome yeah, it's amazing yeah it's yeah. great yeah, I hope it never dies out I really do oh um, miss, man it's such miss, a beautiful culture it? I miss that definitely I, I've done, I mean, it's it's something like that I, I would do it's rant, it's never a planned night you'd, you'd like you'd finish work and you'd be like ah let's go down for one or two and then I'd try band to be there and you'd sit there for the whole night yeah, next to yeah. a fire it's, it's amazing yeah there's not many places that have open fires but one of my so I come from a small village it's about 1500 people it's tiny uh, but there's seven pubs there <laughs> there's one main street and seven pubs <laughs> my family's actually connected to two of them so <laughs> my, my uncle owns one and my cousins own another one but uh, <laughs> it's funny uh, one of one of them um, is owned by one guy and he used to be an alcoholic this guy right but 20 years ago it just cut it off completely and now he, he's like he's been, he's been sober for 20 years I think he's a raging alcoholic um, but uh, he, he's the only person that works in this bar he doesn't trust anyone else to work behind the bar he's there seven days a week it's his life he loves it Yeah. so he, he's in there there's a, a bookies so there's a betting office uh, right next door you wouldn't really have that in Canada much so yeah. you'd have bookies next to um, next to almost every pub because <laughs> people have a few, a few drinks and they go down and they put money on the horses or whatever and they come back in <laughs> it's just awesome. it's, it's culture uh, so this guy he's, his name is Mosh uh, it, the place is called Morrissey's so his nickname is Mosh uh, like he'd sit in there every Sunday with his paper the horses and people would go in and they'd actually get him to put bets on yeah they'd get him to go in next door and put bets on for him and that's what they do all day yeah it's cool man it's totally different you wouldn't get that anywhere else in the world yeah no not at all um, and you walk in there then everyone knows your name yeah <laughs> everybody just like the cheers song but everybody so does know your name I'd love to go back yeah I'd love to, love to go back um well, but very uh, important. I want to uh, I want to get into something like this is okay. not that this conversation hasn't been been delightful. 
We had uh, a conversation just earlier this evening. We were talking okay. about Picasso. Right. And, and like how we That's each fun. had this moment of when, because Picasso, how I had always known him was like his really weird, you know, shit, his really weird stuff of like faces and body parts being yep. like, you know, like it looks like something that a child could have done. Exactly. But then I was watching this, like a travel show and there was this gallery of, of Picasso and seeing his early work that were just like realistic masterpieces, like of landscapes and yeah. whatever. And it's like, and it blew my mind because that came before he started doing the stuff that most people know him for. Mm-hmm. And that it was an intentional choice yeah. that he started painting that way. And then you had some interesting that I didn't know about kind of what spurred that. on. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, uh, how, how solid his source is. It's something I read, but uh, right. uh, apparently the camera was invented around the time that Picasso, uh, I think he was around 18 or 19, that's when, the, that's when photography started to become a thing, an mm-hmm. actual mainstream thing where photographs were being circulated a lot. And like Evan said, he was an amazing painter, um, which a lot of people don't know, like he's actually very, very good at realistic painting, or he was. Uh, yeah, so he thought that the... That, Realism was obsolete, so that's why he changed his style completely. Yeah, I heard. I it's, heard about that. I've never seen his realistic stuff, but I heard it was like, incredible. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. like and, he's a master. Yeah, he's, which gives me more respect for him. We were saying this earlier because if you just look at one of his later paintings, it's like uh, like a lot of meaning behind it. Amazing, but it doesn't look technically great. Right. Anyone could do it, kind of. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> not really, but kind of. You know, yeah. Yeah. you have that feeling. Well, but then I when you know that, that it, it seems like anything. Exactly. Could do it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like anyone could do it if you put it in front of them and said, "Paint that." They could probably paint it, but to come up with it in the first place is another story yeah. altogether. You know? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, coming out. Yeah. Coming up with yes, it in the first exactly. place. Exactly. That's is, the <laughs> is the big thing, yeah. really. Yeah. But knowing that he's an amazing painter makes those those later works even more amazing because he could have done he could have done whatever he wanted yeah he chose to do this for a reason so it adds way more depth to it yeah for me yeah. that was like it created a sense of intrigue about his work because it was it was like he chose to do it so yeah. there's something else going on to me that's like there's something else going on in his yeah. work which is it kind of changed my perception of art in general when I learned that yeah. information mm. because I was you know, very often, like I was, I was quite ignorant with art earlier in my life, you know, just where I was like, yeah, you, you know, you make, you make pictures that look like stuff, you know, like you paint things, you know, like some of them are kind of like goopy and stuff like <laughs> Van Gogh, you know, and yeah. the other ones are kind of more realistic and others, you know, there's a Renaissance, you know, I'd be like, oh no, Renaissance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of as a, as a period, but then, um, but then actually learning that there's all sorts of like messages being communicated, that there's all sorts of, um, ideas and themes and, and stuff going on underneath the surface of it all. I like Salvador Dali is my my absolute favorite. I'm a huge Dali fan, Uh, but he, he's Spanish, right? Uh, yeah, Dali was Spanish. Yeah. Um, but he lived, he was alive at the same time as Walt Disney and the two of them were actually good friends. Right. Uh, I read a, 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 a Walt Disney's biography. It's absolutely amazing. Um, 
and any one of my friends will tell you I'm a huge fan of him I think the guy was an absolute genius yeah uh, he was brilliant not so much his art skills weren't great now I'm talking about uh, Walt Disney his art skills weren't actually top notch at all he relied on all his animators mm. more so like even even the early Mickey Mouse he did a sketch but it was actually uh, fixed by his animators you know, so a lot of people don't know that his, his drawing skills weren't actually great. Mm. He was just an unbelievable people person and a manager. Right. And he could, um, if he told a story, he would have the room entranced and you would get everyone excited about it. So when uh, when Snow, Snow White, the first feature length um, animation, when he was making that, it was four years in the making, I think, or something like that. And obviously, first of its kind, loads of problems arose. But every week he used to get the staff together and reenact the whole thing in front of him the whole story he used to reenact it to get people buzzed about it every time wow yeah, yeah and they said he'd always be coming in like the animators would be doing their work uh, the painting cells whatever and he'd go across a whole scene with him and he'd act it out his acting skills were amazing too so he could put on any persona uh, he'd act it out and get everyone excited they'd all be buzzing again and then he'd go out and then when, pe- when he sees people dropping again he'd go in and he starts acting it out again just to get people excited yeah. about it so he's the reason that it was pushed through. Wow. That man's vision was incredible. He, you know, he's an, he's an incredible guy, and I don't know how accurate this source is, and I don't even know how accurate my memory of the quote that I read was, but some reporter or some media person said to Walt Disney, apparently, this is how, it went something where he insulted, he insulted him. He asked a question that was, like, inappropriate as a, a media person asking a question. Yeah. And I, I wish I remembered it because it would give more context to how he rebuttaled and came back but apparently Walt Disney said something like he's like I have this imagine imagination and I've worked or I've worked this imagination or something like that so that people like you can actually see it like it's like he like he, he and he stood up for his vision in a way where he's like he where he stood up for the idea of imagination where he said like y- like you saying the comment that you said tells me you can't even see it and I create this so someone like you actually can. <laughs> and I yeah. thought that was like, yeah, so I, that really empowered me as a filmmaker because I thought like, you know, there's like, I fought really hard in my early part of my career to be a filmmaker. Yeah. And I, and I've, and I've really been getting in touch with that more and more, especially now in my life. But it's like, yeah, there's certain things that I see. And if I like, like that's the beauty of imagination yeah. and, and Walt Disney inspires me that way. Cause he sees something that or he saw something at least at the time. I mean, we normalize it now. Yeah. But at the time, that's the thing about art that that I think a lot of people don't realize is that they saw something that is normal now, but at the time, exactly. Was, yeah. To was com- not even, yeah. and you have to try that on. That did not even exist. It wasn't yeah, even. A, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Storytelling. Storytelling. Or coming up with a, a creative story from scratch. It's so hard to come up with a, uh, an original script now. Oh yeah. Without without it without it clashing with something else or someone saying oh that's like that and that's like that and that's like that you know I think people it, will always do that yeah though. exactly you know, yeah. people are always looking to draw comparisons of, of yeah. one thing to another it's just like this weird thing that we do like we can't just let something be exactly what it is yeah. we have to file it away into some sort yeah. of a box which is kind of great when something yeah. just comes around and just fucks with the whole system mm-hmm. you know and just be like you can't class this and anything you can't yeah. really draw a comparison to anything I even think, if it's yeah. absolute garbage sometimes you know well, <laughs> and i think this is the thing you know like with art you have to be willing to fail like 
what my men, one of my mentors, I have, I have a few, but one of my mentors, um, he is very good at creating a commercial movie that he knows will be bankable and make money and they can get money behind yeah. it, which will whatever. And Evan wrote this film, which I actually think is fucking genius, by the way. I've been rereading the, the, the most recent, I, I forgot how fucking funny and powerful this fucking movie is, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, if nobody makes this movie, there's no, fu- there's just, it never gets told. And it's like, and it just really hit me. I'm like, it takes somebody with some fucking balls to go out and take a risk. And it might not make a dollar, yeah. but it doesn't even matter because I just thought about it. I really just thought with my, as I was going through it, I'm like, I don't even care. I'm like, whatever, we'll do it anyway. I'm like, it just, yeah. and, 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 and so it's, it's a moment where I, I, um, feel like I'm cause I, cause my mentor, right? Like he's, he's awesome, but it's, it's me taking an onus onto myself to not use my mentor as a crutch, Yeah. you know? And I, I think Evan, you've inspired me that, that way too. But I feel like, you know, these Picassos, the Walt Disney's, they're people who they probably had mentors but there's a certain point where you've got to step outside of the safety yeah. nest of your mentor. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is like a time in my life where I'm beginning. And you know what? It might be a mistake. We might like from a commercial business side of things, yeah. but it will never be a mistake in my heart. Yeah. And that I, when I realized that I was like, this is a really fucking amazing chapter yeah. Yeah. of our lives. But my, my life personally, you know, is like yeah. kind of cool. Right. You, so, Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, do you do you find this just part of the matter? Do you find that when money is involved, when it, at any stage when money is involved, your creative process gets a bit blocked and you're absolutely you're stuck. like when you're free to do it with no money at all involved. It's your project, dude. That's my it's yours. It's, I turned down you know, my writing jobs. I was making I was making a writing career. I've been talking about it on your podcast for the yeah. last hundred episodes, basically. Yeah, and I you know and I basically said you know, and money was involved. And I, and I remember the times when I was writing and I was like in fucking high school and I was writing scripts, but I was doing it because I wanted to write yeah. the script. Yeah. And like this last year has been a really awesome year, but it's also been a year where I, where I experienced what it was like to write, to get paid and write for someone else. Yeah. And, and, and I had done that before, but not to this scale. And it was like, you know, yeah. I, and, and I was like, I will still write. Like I, like I was like, I will still write, but I want to write for me. I'll make, I don't know. It's something about, you have to be, if you're going to do something for money, especially in the arts, I think you have to do it and be fully passionate about that thing. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like with yeah. filmmaking, like we'll make this film because Evan, Evan wrote a script and we're going to make this film. And, and I, you know, the thing to me, as I look at it, as I go, that's truly what I want to do. So there's no way that money can taint it in yeah. a way, but yeah. writing wasn't what I truly wanted to do as a means to an ends. And so it was, I, and I was interacting with that taintedness of, you know, the money coming yeah. in and it was interesting. It's interesting. You brought that up. It, it was a life change moment. Yeah. Then. Yeah. I, I watched, I watched the, um, an interview with Morgan Freeman a couple of weeks ago and he said, he said in an interview, I don't know if you've seen this. He said someone, people ask him all the time, all the time. What would you do if you weren't an actor? Right, so he, he, his answer is, uh, he said, uh, I'd still act. I'd still act for free. I'd mm-hmm. do it. So he just said, like, even if I had to work in a restaurant, 
I'd still act on the side he said if I don't act I don't live that's what he was saying yeah. and he said, at the end he said writers write painters paint actors act you know what that's <laughs> the, the thing it right is. <laughs> is, and, and my true joy of writing my true joy of filmmaking comes from that place of the fact that I would do it for free yeah. but it's the filmmaking and I had a hard time with myself and I realized it was the filmmaking whereas the writing was, was basically had a realization I remember I even remember the point in my life where I said well if I'm going to make a film career, I'm going to have to learn how to write. So writing was never the purpose for me. Right. Yeah. And, and what's interesting was like, it, 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 you know, with filmmaking, it's hard for it to be tainted. Like even my mentor would be like, yeah, but you know, you're making this film and just understand the risks. And I'm like, doesn't even bother me. I'm like, it doesn't even like, I'll spend, t- I'll spend all the money myself and I'll do it just for the experience in a way, because like that's how passionate I am about yeah. it. It's it, and so it's interesting. Like, I'll actually lose money. I'm like, <laughs> you take my money so that I. It's like take to me. It's almost like making this film is a little bit like, um, it's a little and, and and other films I don't want to make, but it's a little bit like you know when you go to the fair and you're like, fuck, it costs fifty bucks to do this and, and get my ride pass to do this, but you just you do it. You're like, I'm, I'm going to pay the price because I want to ride the rides. The movie is a little bit like a ride yeah. to me, you know? Yeah. It's kind I'm, of funny. I'm interested right? to see this. When are you going to start filming? May 3rd is our, is our goal right yeah. now. We're yeah. a little probably behind schedule on uh, our pre-production plan, but that's our aim. Are you acting? Yeah. Are you going to be in it? Yeah, we're, yeah. we're both going to be in it. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So I'm uh, like, dude. fucking buzzed to yeah, see Yeah, yeah, you should give it a read. And <laughs> I, I've been rereading it. I haven't actually got through it because I just did this workshop this weekend, but I was fucking howling and I was like, I'm so proud to be doing this movie. I was yeah. like... I forgot how good it was. Like and it's been a while since I read it. And it's just like, it was like I was reading it again for the first time. And it was just like, but I just had this moment where it was like, you know, I, I think the fact that we believe in it as much as we do, I mean, I, 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 I haven't wrote it, but I believe in it yeah. in a way where it's like, I'm just, I, it's just a gift. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it. Aww. No, but seriously, I'm not even, it's not, I'm, yeah. I'm not even kidding. It's not even yeah. about you wrote it. I actually just, it's a gift of a film. I'm just like, I'm excited. Man. Yeah. I, I think you'll it. appreciate it. I think it speaks to our generation. It speaks to me really deeply. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think what's really neat is like, is, and, and as I've been rereading it, I've been reconnecting to why I liked it in the first place, but it's, yeah, but it's like, yeah, you do it for free. You know, yep. You'd even spend money to do it. Like, <laughs> like if acting costs, like if, if acting costs me money, if filmmaking costs me money, I would, I, you know, I would gladly do it. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I have to admit, like, probably said this Evan earlier. It's probably been a year since I've actually drawn anything. Oh, really? And yeah, um, the reason is you have to move in situation a lot, right? So when I got to Canada, ideal situation, I would have had my dream job or some in some design company, and I kind of. I, I started in so me and Evan worked together um, and I started as dishwashing uh, dishwasher in uh, yeah. in Catch 122 um, and I actually ended up loving the people I was working with so I stayed there for a while uh, served there for a year and I'm I'm, I'm managing there now because Tammy the boss uh, said that she could sponsor me for part of residency so that's kind of at my that's the one thing I'm focused on now is one, I want to stay in the country and I'm finding it very hard, very hard to like finish work and then 
do my drawing and you know like find find Dude, time to do you. what I want to do. I put off filmmaking Very, for two years. Yeah, I mean I put off filmmaking. I subjugated it to writing. I subjugated it to my business. I sub and and I just hit a point this last like this last uh, winter. You know, I just hit a point. I was like, holy fuck! And I I like how did I get convince myself to subjugate my dream? But I think this is the thing. This is the artist. This is such a great topic. How, like, cause I used to believe that people actually just gave up and I, and I looked at myself and I'm like, you are on the path of giving up on your dream right now. Like, and I would never say I gave up, but in some ways I let my dream get subjugated to trying to manage life. And that's yeah. part of adulthood yeah. with artistry. Right? Who is, who, who was I talking? Were you, I don't remember. Maybe it was you who was saying this to me, but, or it was a video I watched or something, okay. but it was, it was like this idea that it's like, you know, nobody ever just like, most people don't ever just like give up on their dream. Like, like it was me. Like yeah. that. Was I it you? It's so. like, yeah, I, I remember that we had this talk. Yeah. yeah. But it's like you, you give up a little bit like every, every, every day, you know, yeah, like yeah. you give up in these little ways all the time, all the time, oh, all the time, you give all the up time like right? Over and over and over until be giving up becomes a normal way of being. Yeah. And, Until like, eventually. And, and I caught myself and I w- and, and it was like a slap in the face and a warm bath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing. It's like you, you hit, you hit a point though, where it's just like you're, you're emotionally, usually you hit a, in a point emotionally where you just go like, fuck, like what am I doing? Either I'm giving, I, I'm truly deciding to give this up. Yeah or I'm realizing that this is actually something really important to me and I'm doing it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. man. Right. But like eventually you're faced with it, right? That's my thing. It's like, there's no, there's no, there's no bullshitting around this (laughs) stuff. Right. Like, um, a thought came to me uh, a few days ago where I thought, and I'm sure somebody said this before, but at the moment I'm like, Oh, this could be an original, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, it was basically like, we can convince ourselves of anything, but fool ourselves of nothing. Mm. That's yeah. great. No, that's, that, it's yeah. really good. I mean, maybe someone said it, maybe someone said that, maybe someone said it another way, but you put it as simply and as powerfully as it can really be put. Yeah. And I think that's it. Yeah. You're, you you're, nailed you're it. God instinct. You, like you're God, you're God instinct is a thing. It's an actual physical thing like if you always follow your gut you can't really go wrong yeah I mean but the thing is sometimes something can happen out of following your gut you're like oh I I totally screwed this up but sometimes it's actually you know as the as the stone said you can't always get what you want (laughs) it's really yeah it's weird weird because if you if you went on your gut all the time people tend to overthink I do too yeah oh yeah they overthink everything every situation every possible scenario um, and that stops you from doing it. Stops you from following your gut. Yeah. Like uh, going back to my early point, the reason I'm like I've put everything off is because I want to stay in Canada. So it's kind of my priority to get permanent residency. You know, and what? in my head, I'm going to start drawing after I do it. But I, you know, hopefully, won't put that off. <laughs> well, you'll hit a. You, 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 there's a. You know what I found is, is there is a tolerance point. I was going through. I mean, let's just give it some context. I was also going through a pinnacle life-changing point in my life where I was literally evolving as a person. And so I had to, as it hurt to recognize that I had kind of subjugated my dream. I also had to realize that like, 
it's and I and I and I wrote about this one day, and it was based on a story I had heard long ago. But I wrote about how like it's almost as though for the first part of my life I was in a caterpillar, and all I could do was crawl. That's just all I could do. But I could crawl at the end of it. I was fucking good at crawling. But then I hit a point where the crawling was not working anymore. And so I went into this cocoon and it was worse because now I was doing nothing. And I was in darkness and I was like, just, it it was locked in this apartment, you know, and I was here. And, and then one day I started to be like, no, I want to break out. But I, but I was stuck. I was stuck in this dark place where I was just nothing. It felt like I was nothing. And I eventually kind of came out. And I think in like, uh, this last December here, it was almost like a butterfly breaking out of a cocoon. And it sounds kind of fucked up and kind of artistic. (laughs) I was like a butterfly, (laughs) butterfly guys. And I was, I was breaking out of it. (laughs) That was like a weird sort of, like a weird, like almost, I was, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I was was a butterfly. (laughs) I was in the cocoon and I I broke from this cocoon. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so I broke from this cocoon and like, honestly now, it's, it's so strange to even, to even try to express how I see the world now. It's like, if you've only ever crawled, you were always so close to everything. You couldn't really see anything unless maybe you kind of crawled up a plant or some shit, but all of a sudden you can fly. I'm trying to use this analogy. You know, I'm going to plant some shit. It doesn't matter. You were cocooning yourself. You couldn't see anything once you were inside. You couldn't see shit. Couldn't see shit. What's in this beer, man? Coconut. Yeah. But all of a sudden, like to be, it's like being in a new form. Like I really honestly feel for the first time in my life where there was like dreams that I had when I was crawling along where I would look up in the sky and I'd be like, I wish I could be there, but I never believed it was actually possible for me. Yeah. But now like, as I transferred through this cocoon stage and I like kind of started to fly, it's like, I'm at a stage now in my life where I, where I actually believe it's possible. I, I, I don't know how to express how that feels, but it is life changing moment for me. And so now filmmaking and, and letting go of writing, was actually like, it was scary to confront, but letting go is at the same time really easy because it's like, yeah, dude, you can fly now. Like you don't need to hang on to that shit anymore. And it was like, whoa, like it's like I'm an entirely new uh, species. And, and, and I just, I almost see it like the kick, the caterpillar cocoon butterfly transformation. You can fly now. Like you have a whole new option of life that you never even knew what it looked like before. Yeah. So you're, you know, in some ways, and I think maybe we cocoon many times in life. I yeah. don't think it's just a one-time yeah. thing. But you're through it, a metamorphosis, uh, right? Right. And you're going through a metamorphosis and you're taking care of your shit. Yeah. And that's what I had to do. I had to take care of my shit because I, that's what it takes to strengthen yourself yeah. to actually transform. But the key thing is that when you're in this stage, this is just my theory, is that you don't let this stage cause you to give up. Cause I think people go through these stages and then they hit the stage and they yeah. give up. Yeah. Even though they might've transformed. Yeah. Here, I gotta say working with Evan is definitely positive for me. Like, mm-hmm. you're, like he, this guy's one of the best stories I've ever, ever oh, yeah. met. Yeah, he, but, he, man, I swear to God. He missed quotes shit, but he's good. <laughs> I, I only work with him once a week, every Tuesday. <laughs> every Tuesday, I was like, we cross paths. We used to work together Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. Um, it was just, 
But yeah, he's a great. Evan's him. a great storyteller, but he's so passionate about what he does. He's so mm. passionate about it. You, you are man. Like you're. It's. It's. I'm meeting you. Like it kind of. Like I know. I know. I'm not doing what I want to do now. But every time I meet you, I kind of get a little bit like oh, Evan's doing what he wants to do. I should be doing what I want to do. You know. It's great yeah. to to start doing what you want to do, man. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, take um, that feedback too, because Evan's been like that for me as well. I mean, yeah. you know, since Evan and I started the po- even before we started the podcast, that was a big transitional point for me too like you're you and and yeah like even I remember talking to you we were we we were at a meeting one day and I was like I just don't know about acting like it wasn't that I wanted to act but I just didn't feel like I and and you know like and I said this from the beginning of our podcast Evan has a kind of a quality of like always kind of holding up that authenticity and that integrity and even though I know you you work your own battle with it you reflect it back very well for other people. It's a kind of a gift. No. Like, yeah, this I, is great. I can yeah. just sit here all day and like soak this okay. all in. Now, we, now we need to say something bad about him. His head's got too big. He's an asshole. He's not guy with the Like for me, it's like one of one of my biggest faults has been like you know I think about things too much. Like you know yeah. yourself. It's like yeah. I, I overthink things and and mm-hmm. I try and come up with some sort of a perfect plan, <laughs> some sort of a perfect execution, which doesn't exist. Right. Right. And. Um, and one of the things that, you know, like I've, I've learned from, from Brandon, one of the things I've learned from you is, well, is yeah, just to like put your, put yourself out there, like do it, yeah. like fucking do it. You know, like, okay. it's like, you're really like, you're the only one who's to stopping yourself from, from doing any of yeah. this stuff. Right. Like, and it's, and it's all a bunch like, you know, this whole game of like, Oh my good enough. You know, yeah, like, fear, my shit. like it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's all a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. It's all a bunch of nonsense. And it's the, like from everything that I've under like be, am beginning to understand and like lessons that I've been told before, but like, you know, never really got. Yeah. And now I'm starting to like get it where it's just like, you know, the only difference that separates the people who succeed and the people who don't in your field are the people who just go out and do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, like what, no matter how it, how, what the result is, you know, people just go and they, and they do it, you know, like it's, it's the people who just stare looking, you know, just stare at this thing, you know, intimidated by the thing the whole time that that's when you truly fail. Yeah. Right. We, uh, you know, um, we're about to, we're about to, we've done a soft launch with my business and it's been really exciting with the, it's called BC Film Academy. And so it's been, it's been years in the making to get to this point, but we published these tweets and they're quite, they're quite profound even for me when, when, when they get shared, but there, we posted one about like, if you want to have a filmmaking, filmmaking career, you want to make money and whatever is like, is just this simple, make movies, not excuses. And that's really as fucking simple as it is. And, and, and that's been a shift for me is like, make like, how did this career even begin for you? You made a movie and not an excuse. That was that honestly, I know it sounds simplistic, but if there's like a young person out there or not even young, if you just want to be a filmmaker, just make a fucking movie. It doesn't have to be good. Yeah. Honestly, like it, it, that's how it begins. And I, and, and that's what I lost in the cocoon stage, like not lost, but experienced the loss of. Yeah. And I realized shit, all we got to do is make a movie. That's the answer. There's no, regardless of how it turns out, you're making a movie. Regardless of how it turns out, you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's free. People are, people are scared of what people will think though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That, that's, for me, for me, actually, I was saying this. I so I, I I have a lot of Irish friends here, and I was saying this to one of my friends. 
back home in Ireland I, I'm not gonna I have to mind my words here a little bit because I don't want to say that Irish culture is discouraging people but if you have this idea a lot of people don't think it's possible and I'm not saying it's true for all Irish people but maybe it's a small town mentality that I come from right. where everybody's kind of setting their ways God I hope nobody hears this at home <laughs> everybody's setting their ways kind of uh, yeah. and they like routine 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 everything is like you get you go to school you get married <laughs> you have kids uh, you get a solid job and uh, like you know you stay around the area whatever and the, the cycle continues but it, sometimes people break out and then a lot of people to make themselves feel better will tell you you can't, you can't do it it's like oh, yeah. that's stupid whatever you, you know what it is that's, it's called cognitive dissonance it, and yeah. I studied it in psychology and I went through I've been going through it many times in my life and it's where you you feel a pain because your dream becomes painful at some point where you realize that it might never happen. And instead of experiencing that pain and, and feeling the humanity of that pain, you just disassociate, um, you, you create a dissonance with it. You just move, remove yourself. And I've done it a few times and, and dissonance is actually how I think people give up. And I was experiencing dissonance even over this last couple of years. I started to create a dissonance with filmmaking. Yeah, but what, what is what what is dissonance? What well, is the cognitive dissonance. The way I understand it is that like within the light of like new information or like real information, you flat out just deny it okay. to preserve your own belief system. Like you don't. Yeah. Like you won't really take it on. You won't really listen to it. You won't really absorb it. You'll just, because it goes against some, the way, a way that you've been going about life, you'll just, you, you just won't even hear it. You won't, you'll just completely, you'll just disassociate from it. Right. You'll just be like, no, no, that's bullshit. Um, I want to pull, I want to pull it up. I actually have a book. I want to pull it out just so we can like look at it. Cause I, I think it'd actually be neat, but like it, 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 in a way it will, it's a weird thing that we do. It's it, the way our minds will work where we can take something that is literally the most important thing to us, the thing that we care about the most, and we can create a cognitive dissonance because it's painful. Like I remember I had a, a, a buddy, he's still a friend, but we hung out a lot at this time and his career was just blossoming and flourishing. It almost seemed like, and he worked hard, but it almost seemed like he could only fail upwards. He could just, he didn't even have to try. Yeah. And there was this part of me where, you know, I remember you, you know, I were at this stage where most actors our age were not getting quite that kind of success. And so when you're around someone like that, it's inspiring because you go, wow, it's possible. But this is other part of it goes, but why am I not? Why is he getting all the success? And he, and he and I had a very similar look. I started to create a cognitive dissonance. I actually started to push away from acting because acting became an, a painful experience. But I loved acting. And I remember I had this moment, I was studying social psychology and I was like, holy shit. And I remember we got to the chapter of cognitive dissonance and I was like, holy shit, this is what I'm doing. And they laid out in the chapter, these are the options of what you will do when you're yeah. experiencing cognitive dissonance. And I was like, I'm going through all the stages of it. And now I'm actually making acting bad because this feeling. And so I was like, no, what I have to do is I have to go towards it right now. And it was like hard, 
but I, but I was so glad that that chapter, it's like serendipity. It yeah. came along at like such at a the right time. Yeah. But I've right exper- I experienced cognitive dissonance now around filmmaking in the last couple of years. And so I kind of called back on that moment in my life. I remember where I was. I was at Calhoun's cafe. It was about <laughs> nine o'clock PM. I was studying for an exam. It was the fall. I remember everything yeah. about it. I can tell you the smell of the place. Cause it was such a profound moment in my <laughs> life that I could call on that memory, like watching a movie that impacted me and be like, you're, you're doing it. You're, you're experiencing cognitive dissonance and this yeah. is scary, man. So go towards it. And so I said, what is the most scary thing to give up right now? Writing, writing is your, is your block. Writing is your shield. It's your, it's your safety. You can always, and I, and I had to talk to myself. I was like, you can keep writing, man. You don't have to give it up but you have to let it go. You have to be willing. It's like that chapter in, uh, that, that Dan Melman wrote. You got to be oh, willing to divorce, to divorce your wife. Oh yeah. 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 Right. It's, um, yeah. The law of choices. The law of choices. Yeah, that he talks yeah. about, you got to be willing. Is... You can never choose it until you're willing to let it go. Yeah. It, right? You can never truly yeah. say yes to something. You can never really choose something until you claim your ability to say no to it at the same oh, time. Yeah until you can say, it's like, no, I don't need to have that. Mm-hmm. I could let that go. And, and, and that would be, I could make that choice. I have the power to make that choice and understanding yeah. that you can do that. And then once you know that you can do that, then you can really actually say yes to doing it. Right. Is that, that movement is the peaceful warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I, I haven't read the book. Great movie. Yeah, no, the but movie I was, really, really the movie was solid. <laughs> the book was good too, but yeah. I, I, I think, um, uh, the laws of spirit was the first book of his that I read yeah. and it was, that was a talk about serendipity. That was a serendipitous moment in my life. I was 21. Okay. And, uh, had a complete, like, I, I had just gone and done like, uh, done like a month tour through Europe, like by myself. Like, uh, yeah. like I'd done like a, a trip with a bunch of other young people, sort of like we'd all been traveling together, had like the most amazing time of my life. Right. And, uh, and I came back and part of me had wanted to stay. Like I wanted yeah. to stay and just like, I didn't want it to like, you know, kind of the, the, the thing to end. And, uh, and I remember I'd watched peaceful warrior on the plane, uh, <laughs> okay. on the way to, on the way to London went to, to begin yeah. the trip. And then, I came back and I just, I just slipped into like this, like just, just this depression. Like I was just so sad. Like I, I had just the most incredible time and I didn't have, I, I didn't have necessarily anybody that I felt had that experience. You know, I yeah. had this incredible experience. I didn't feel like anybody could understand, you know, the experience that I had. And, you know, it was, it was kind of young and angsty in a way. Right. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but you know, like I felt like, you know, I just had this extraordinary experience and it was now it was over. It was gone. You know, it had just, and it Is threw that me you read it? to this or, really, yeah. yeah. And so eventually when I kind of started to crawl out of my hole, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I really liked that movie. I'm, and I know that it's based on a book. So I'm going to, so I went up to the library, um, yeah, to, 
to see if they they had it right. I went to the library and and it had just been checked out or something like that. And I was like, oh, but there's a bunch of other books of his, right? So I picked up the thinnest one, and it was that, Ooh. and it was called The Laws of Spirit. And I read this book, and it fucking changed my life. Like it, it was, it just uh, it totally blew my mind uh, in terms of like beginning to shift my perceptions about life and how absolutely we go true. through life, right? And how we look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, there's nothing, there's nothing better than when you pick, and it's, if it's, especially if it's a random pick like you had there. Yeah. There is nothing better than, I love going to, I love bookstores. I love, I, I'd spend hours just just looking around yeah. in a bookshop. Especially a used bookstore. Oh, like there's a place on Pender, McLeod's. I don't know if you've ever been there. Where's that story? Uh, it's on West Pender. It's like four blocks from Catch. Okay. Uh, McLeod's. It's like it's used bookstore, but there's books everywhere. You walk in. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I know the one. It seems like there's about. no rhyme or reason to it, but you ask the guy where anything is, and he brings it straight over there. Yeah. So he's got his system. But, <laughs> but <laughs> everybody else is like, this makes no <laughs> it's sense. It's not very clear else, yeah. It's, but I love it, man. It's like you can just find a couple of gems in there. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've had that happen, like especially like randoms that just kind of like jump out at you. There's another book that I really love that happened in a, in a used bookstore and it was called, um, uh, care of the soul, which I talk about often show by, uh, Thomas Moore. Okay. That's just like, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. Um, but yeah, that was a random, just yeah. like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like this looks pretty good. <laughs> like, and it was seriously like it was in a section of books that was like massive. Like mm. there was, there was so many things there yeah. and I grabbed this one <laughs> mm. out of, out of all things. And it was like, it There's, just blew my mind. I, man, I, I, I probably went like after I left school, after I left uh, high school or secondary school, as we call it, and, uh, I probably went like five years without reading properly. Anything like yeah. I, when I was in college, I, I read mm. whatever I needed to read for whatever subject. But I only since I moved to Canada have yeah. I actually rekindled my I, I like and now I have two books in my bag at all time not yeah. one but two well you know I think that's so many like the way that our that education often works hey Brandon I'm gonna take I'm gonna take your, your yeah take your job take this it. time yeah. you know the problem with the education you know the problem with the education yeah, but ahead, you yeah. know like reading becomes this thing that you're just sort of forced to do exactly right like you're exactly. just like you have to do it and now you've got to answer these questions about it and whatever and you know I, I understand there's kind of a thing going yeah. on that can happen with that but it it becomes a, a tedious process. I think the thing that was almost missing was that like it was never like an open discussion. Yeah, mm. you know it was exactly. like it was like read the chapter, answer these questions. Yeah. This that's read all. the chapter, answer these questions. Exactly. Read the chapter, answer these questions. Read the chapter, write this essay. Mm-hmm. Right. For and me, man, English should be an open discussion at all. It should be like this. English English class in high school should be exactly like we're doing right now. Yeah. To ex- exactly. like really like just have a discussion about the, but anyhow, the, th- <laughs> the, the whole point that I was getting to is that it's like, you know, it kind of sometimes it saps just like the, like the extraordinary experience that reading can actually yeah. really give you. Yeah. But there is a degree to which I can see how there may be some usefulness. Like I remember reading Lord of the Flies, mm. um, which was 
a book, reading that book in school, um, changed what I thought about reading books. Yeah. But I also, to its credit, to his credit, it was like one of the best teachers I ever had who went through that. And it was like, it was a discussion in the questions that he was asking us, even if it was like a written assignment were questions that had never been posed to me before about like, about like meaning, like what's the meaning, what's underneath what's happening here. Right. Like really forcing me to like think about it in a way that was not necessarily about being right, but just like, what do you think about like this whole thing and what it might be saying? And well, and it just yeah. opens up a whole yeah. new world to like what's going on, right? I had an English teacher that um, you know, and and I, it's I, I could look in a yearbook to find her name. I honestly don't remember it, but she she made a real impact on me, and she got me to write a short like she got us all to write a novel, and just to tell a story, and and you know she gave us a few principles about story, and then we went off and told the story, and I told a story that was about a hockey player, a, a kid who basically was like your next Sidney Crosby, right? Okay. And so he basically, you know, got drafted right out of high school, um, went straight to the NHL, basically skipped through the whole, um, you know, got put right on an NHL team, started playing. And he signed a contract that was essentially like, you know, basically a promise of like, cause they signed someone like that. They're going to sign him for like six years, you know? Yeah. And in the first year he played, was having a great season. Everything's going well. He had a major injury, like an injury to the point it was a career ender. And he basically was like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? Like yeah. my whole life has been this. And part of his struggle was like, you know, really kind of embracing this thing. Anyway, um, it was a pretty profound story, kind of mostly a son and his father having a lot of like interactions and conversations. And, and, um, that, I mean, it's probably the reason why I'm a filmmaker in certain ways. Cause she inspired that on me. I thought we were going to write a novel the next year, but she created another exercise, which was good, but I already planned my next novel planned. <laughs> and this was the interesting thing to me. Cause I was only, I was like a failing student at school. I mean, I was basically, I did, I failed socials grade eight. I had to do summer school. Okay. I didn't care about school at all. I thought school was total bullshit, even at that age. <laughs> <laughs> and then after I, I interacted with her, um, I started to realize that I could be really great at school if I just applied myself. And so I was applying myself and I, tur- I went from literally like being like this failing out student to being like, you know, honor roll a student. But I'm, but the important thing is she inspired me. And my next story was going to be about this African American kid who is basically facing racism in school. And I think back to that and I go, I had really no, not much experience with racism or anything like that. But I thought, isn't that, to me, it seemed like such an adult, profound, deep social story at that age to like want to venture into, especially without the experience. But I was like, that's what a great teacher does. They don't, they don't try and control you. They, they create an opportunity for you to experience you. you Yeah. Man, I I loved my English teacher was my favorite teacher. She's the only teacher that I had for six years straight. So in in high school, I had her for six years. Oh, you're kind of lucky that way. If and you had a great teacher for yeah. that long, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but she she was also old school. Like she yeah. was probably in her late 50s, early 60s when I had her. She'd been teaching for 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> so she had her, her ways, you know. Yeah. But she uh, she also taught my brother. My brother, 
uh, he's my adopted brother he um, I've got like quite a few adopted siblings and uh, one of my brothers every teacher loved him so uh, when, I, when I went like the, the first thing they asked me is are you Darren's brother <laughs> and I, I said yeah and it, like I'm golden straight away <laughs> but uh, this one this one uh, uh, my, my English teacher Mrs. Nolan uh, she used to always mention Darren but then, then she uh, she used to leave me away with so much man like I I I was always good at English in school always so I never really tried that hard I was always just good at it right you know anything she asked me I'd, I'd have a good answer for it and I found it quite easy you know hmm. and uh, like I never participated I never did my homework <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost never like I'd have this thing where the, the class would start and I'd start shifting around my bag <laughs> looking for my homework until everything was done and I just could, like put my, and she knew exactly what was going on uh, but she was she was a great teacher like just like you said um, would always like she she would always try and uh, get you to actually say what you're thinking rather than follow a syllabus mm. she wouldn't really follow the syllabus at all yeah. she had this yeah this weird way of talking to people she'd swear all the time <laughs> all <laughs> the fucking time <laughs> that's the thing, uh, that's the thing <laughs> which is like, hilarious yeah. it? <laughs> my, like my my dad was always like you need to go to university you need to get your degree you know all that shit right and it's so funny because, like, you know... I I've met your dad. He doesn't talk like that. <laughs> you should have seen him when I was 17, Evan. <laughs> but, he, you know, and, and, and he had these ideas about how you're supposed to be and, 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 and do life. And, like, he's always been kind of a, a defiant... Uh, yeah. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to learn on my own. I don't care if I learn the hard way. I've, I think a lot of, I've adapted, uh, adopted a lot of his things, which is, like... He, he's the kind of guy that's like, just fucking go for it. No yeah. excuses, no bullshit. Doesn't matter how you feel. If you want it, you fucking do it. And I love that quality about him. If there's mm-hmm. anything that, yeah. but he would do these things where he would be like, yeah, but you got to go to school. But at the same time, he taught me, if you want something, just fucking go for it. And we got to a point where it's like, he's telling me to do something. But I'm like, yeah, but I value just fucking yeah. go for it. And it was like, you know, and, and it was interesting because like <laughs> school to me, like I was like, school's great for someone who has no internal motivation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that was my. That was well. My, I mean, you know what I mean. That's it's not like, entirely the case. Okay. I no, mean, but like, it could be people. There are people who go to school who are extraordinarily motivated. But, but people, it's depending on what discipline yeah. that you're going no, no, into. No, I'm not right? saying all. Like some people in. Like I met a, a woman who's gotten like she's gotten her masters and she was going to go for another masters just, and she was an ace at it and she embraced the idea. But like, if you think about in the, in the hall, how many people really come out of university going, yeah, I'm passionate. I know what I want to do. And I'm clear. I mean, I would say most of the people like it's, you got to understand, like I was around people who, who didn't really know what they were doing. They were doing it because they had to, it was like this kind of this, underpinning of obligation in there. And I was like, like I had this attitude of like, I wanted to do this thing. And I think that, you know, in a certain way you find your, you're going to find your crowd. It's like, it's like you take a positive negative ion or whatever you take like things. They don't, if they reject each other or whatever, they, they they don't go together. They just, it won't work. You know what I mean? Like, like I, 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 I kind of appreciate school now more, but there was a certain kind of way in which it worked where I remember being in class and being like, you know what? I want to be in class. I want to learn this. Mm. 
But all the hoops you're trying to make me jump through and all, all of this stuff yeah. seems irrelevant to me. Like, I'm like, I'll learn it and like, let me apply it into the real world. But doing your little, like, you know, your little exercises and stuff seemed so, <laughs> do, you, do you guys ever have that experience? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like it seemed ridiculous yeah. to me. Like I really like, if, have you ever had that experience where you feel like a rat in a maze and you're like, okay, I'm the rat in the maze. Like, but like I can leave the maze. But it's like, beat the maze because this is the rules we've set up. I don't know. That's almost how I looked at mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? It, it was kind of an, uh, a weird experience for me. And so like, for me, I found like, um, my real value of university was being on campus, meeting people, interacting with people, finding out about life. You know, most of the time, like I would, I, I did well, obviously I went to UBC. You had to have like, you know, 3.5, like 3.5 mm. in Canada is basically out of four grade point average to get in there. Okay. Or even 3.8, I think you had to have, which I did. But like, to me, it was just, it's like that game guns up. It's just like, okay, I beat the game. You know, it's like, you kind of like do the game and you're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, you know? And like, that's the thing I look at. I kind of look at life as a little bit like that. I feel like we have these passions and dreams and we, we get these jobs and we fucking ace them. We're so good at them. Mm-hmm. And then we have an emptiness. Cause it's like, it's like, you know, like when you've gotten really good at checkers, it's time to move to chess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's time to up, the, it's time to up the ante, right? Mm-hmm. And life gets boring. If all you yeah. ever play is the thing you're an ace at, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. To me, that's kind of how I experienced it. But I think like it relates kind of to what you were saying, you know, I feel like I dominated this conversation into an, a corner, <laughs> but it was kind of like, I, I was going to bring it back to what you said, which was you've been paying the bills. You've been doing the thing. Like this is a game, like paying bills, mastering your life, figuring out how you're going to stay here. It's just a set of rules. If you think about it, like monopoly or whatever, you figure out how to fucking monopolize that game and you're not only competing against yourself. Then you figure that out. Then you have freedom, right? And then what are you going to do? You can do what you actually want to do. Honestly, man, like if if, when I get permanent residency, it'll be a lot different. It will. I'll have freedom. I'll have five (laughs) years in Canada. Whereas a, a year, two years goes fast. Right. Two years goes fast, especially if you're traveling and you're trying to squeeze in a lot of touristy stuff. You yeah. know, you know, sometimes do a lot of stuff, but if I get PR, then it means I've just, you know, a lot of time to do what I want to do. I think you um, gotta set a deadline, though. You gotta be like, I gotta get this shit figured out by yeah, this absolutely. point. You know I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, <laughs> set that deadline. You know, like that's like, and and then you go, okay, like like you just make that happen, because otherwise you can get caught in that perpetual like. Uh, that's, I guess, when I'm kind of getting at school, like with school was a little bit like a hamster on a wheel. Like I get that I'm getting fit. I get that, but I'm not getting anywhere or doing anything. And there's kind of like, I don't care if I'm not like the best runner or the best, like, let's do this in real life, you know? Cause like, think about like in our history as like a, a human like development, like real growth occurs in the real world. It, it, you know, you, unless you create a test that simulates the real world, yeah. you don't grow, you, you know, like you don't, you don't get real life skills. Not at all. You learn, you learn a lot of, you learn a lot of important, I mean, math is very important. <laughs> yeah. You learn a lot of important uh, things that you can apply to the real world, but it doesn't teach you how to live in the real world. Yeah. No, no it's, it's like that. Was it uh, like that uh, philosophy Mary's room or something like that? where it's basically, I think it's Mary's room. 
it, years ago, this, uh, yeah, like a 20th century philosopher is basically saying like, okay, so there's Mary, Mary lives in a black and white room. She never leaves this room and everything around her is black and white. She understands everything about the eye and how it perceives color, right. how it perceives, how it takes in light, how that transfers into information, which are in signals in your brain. She, she knows everything you could know about it. And then one day her computer screen, which has been black and white this whole time, turns into color and there's an apple. There's this big red apple. Does Mary learn something? Does she learn? Does she learn some, does she learn something new? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And this is a whole thing (laughs) where it's just like, you know, and, and they still argue about it, but it's this whole argument about this, like, it's a real experience of something as opposed to just knowing about it. Right. But actually having a uh, true experience of it, does that change things? And I think it does. I think it's, it's, I think it's a huge thing that you learn. I think it's the most important thing to actually experience something as opposed to just knowing facts about it thing. Because like, does that really have any, appropriate use. I saw a talk by a theoretical astrophysicist or something. And she even goes over this stuff like where she turns complex equations, tries to find ways to simplify, you know, the most like complex things that, you know, we are dabbling into now. And she's talking about, she's like, you know, like you look at a chair and she's like, and we can look at that chair and we can break it down and we can see it in its, in its structure and its molecules and its atoms and blah, 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 blah. We can see all that. I don't even know if any of that matters. Like, she's like, does any of that even mean anything? (laughs) Right. She's like, does it, does it really matter that like we, that we can break it down to that? Because truly does that really make the thing what it is? You know, you know what? Evan, Evan will, Evan will. I love that shit. Yeah, me too. <laughs> on how I always use analogies, and he started to use them more and more. But I actually believe that analogies are the master keys to understanding the entire universe. Because if you think about it, an analogy is something. If I say. If I say this computer I have, right, this computer down here, it costs seven grand and you go seven grand and you don't know anything about computers. You know, nothing, even someone on the other end here, I say, okay, I say hard things like hard drive and Ram and processor and, and video card and whatever. And you go, I don't, I don't really know what those terms mean. (laughs) And I say, well, look at it this way. My hard drive is my bookcases. It's all those bookcases over there. So it holds all my books. That's what it does. Now, my, my RAM is my desk. How many of those books can I have open on my desk right now to be able to look at and process? Now, the processor is my ability and how quickly I can grab those books, put them on the desk, open them up and get exactly access to where I want in that book. Now you understand a computer, which is an analogy between a desk and a bookcase, which is a master key to a very technically difficult thing. And the thing is, is that if we started learning through analogy, so, and Evan brought this up and you brought it up and I remember the day you brought it up 
but I don't remember which episode, but you said, I, you know what I don't like about the education system or something like that? You said, I don't like they don't factor in experience. My experience is desk and a bookcase, not a computer. Now you take a, this is my friend did. He explained a computer using two things I knew. Yeah. My, well, oh, basically yeah, yeah. me, a desk and my bookcase. And I went, I understand computers now. I get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like, think about that. We can understand literally anything. And, and when I told you, I, I, I went from being like a failing student to being an A student. And I had a, uh, one of the kids come up to me and said, how do you do it? It was just an analogy. Once I understood the analogy that yeah. basically school is, you can literally, and I am an example of that. You can take a kid that's literally failing out of school and turn them into an A student yeah. by their relation and understanding of experience, which you have to relate experience, yeah. man. Yeah. I, I just think it's the fucking answer. You know, yeah. Albert, Albert, Einstein, <laughs> Albert Einstein said before, um, yeah. everybody's a genius. I don't know if you know his quote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a genius, but if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, you're gonna, it's going to think it's stupid. Totally. <laughs> well, I'm thinking you know, about that. You know, some kids might have a, they might have an early analogy. I don't even know if they know what it is, but they get school early. And yeah. so they look like exceptional students. Then teachers treat them like they're geniuses. So you naturally play out the genius. Yeah. You, yeah. You see this kid that is able to remember something that he reads straight away. Yeah. Oh, he's a genius. Yeah. And so then, <laughs> then we tailor our geniuses to a bunch of things that our limited experience can recognize. But like if, if we did take Einstein's quote and understand that everybody is a genius, which I actually believe is more accurate. Yeah. In their just, own field, in, in their, their own, own field. Yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? Like <laughs> there's certain things I cannot do, but there's geniuses that can do it. Yeah. Right. And you don't you have know. to do everything. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Like when we look at, uh, Sam Bolt or whatever, he's the fastest guy. He's a great runner. I don't know if he's a fucking great mathematician. I don't know if he's great yeah. at fucking understanding the clouds. You know what but I mean? That man but can that motherfucker fast. can run. You know what I mean? There's, uh, there's, I would love to actually pull up this quote sometime, read it properly. Mm. But um, I, I'm a big fan of Henry David Thoreau. Um, Walden's an yeah. essential writing, but uh, I haven't finished it. But uh, he, his one that he wrote before Walden, um, was like, uh, on the Merrimack river. I think something like that, something on the Merrimack river. And it's, he's he's really, he's just like documenting his experience of like getting on a boat with like his brother and floating down a river in, um, in new England and documenting his, like what's happening as well as his thoughts. Like, you know, like his, philosophies and things that are going on. He talks about, he's they're They're going by this, this farm and he's seeing, he's looking at this farmer and he was basically like, if this man had the gift of, had the gift of word, the things that this person could probably communicate to us that would put to shame, like the ancient Greek, like, like he was just like, it's just, there's, there's so many things that people have experienced and the things that people know in their lives that aren't documented or, that aren't uh, documented yeah, yeah. or that people just don't necessarily have the means of, in which to do it, you know, to yeah. express their experience of, of life. Right. But it's just like, that could just completely like confound you that could yeah. just like absolutely like rip your, rip your soul open, you know? Well, what's the, I mean, what are the, what are the effects and consequences of us living in a world where we 
don't value experience. Just think about that. What are the consequences of that? I mean, you could take, you could take a kid who lives in Africa, who's only ever experienced living with his limited experience of education and, you know, maybe his mom, his parents and starved. But then you could take those analogies that he lived with. And if you can parallel them to rocket science, you could teach that kid rocket science. But we live in a society where it's like, oh, if you weren't born in this family with the money to understand and have that gift already of the technology and the blah, you can't do it because it's a lack of imagination. And that's why I fucking love analogies. It takes imagination. You have to connect two things that are unrelated and make them related. I think that that should be one of the cornerstones of education. I think it's one of the first things. So you say, um, what is like, take anything you want to take a kid and you go like, let's parallel this to something, you know, so give me an experience of your life. You share an experience of your life because a, a genius mentor, in my opinion, can take any parallel of your life and go, what have you experienced? Just tell me any story. You know something about horses? Okay, I can make horses into rocket science. And that's what a mentor does, in my mm, opinion. Yeah. But we don't, live in a, we don't live in a world of mentorship. We live in a world of limited box thinking. And that's, what, that's, my, that's my main problem with the education system. Although the infrastructure is fucking fantastic. I love that. Yeah. But we live in a, in like, yeah. we're using a fraction of yeah. what we've set up. You know what I mean? And, and also yeah. I think that it creates a huge fear of failure. Right. Which is the biggest, probably the problem of all. It's yeah. the biggest question. A hundred percent is the biggest question. I mean, anybody Without who's an entrepreneur, I sure we could bring, we could bring on a hundred entrepreneurs. And I would say that probably I could safely say that pretty much a hundred of them, if they have any sort of success would say that most of their life has been failure, learning and figuring that shit out and yeah. then succeeding. But the thing is you have to yeah. do it. Like once you get out of yeah. the school system, cause like you're, you're not really taught that because it, it really is from a very early time. Like you're surrounded for years of your formative life. You're surrounded in a culture where if you fail, it's the end of everything. <laughs> like right. it's you're like, you're, you're, you're everything fucking as well. your life over. If you fail, yeah. if you fail this class, you fail this test. If you don't get these grades, you don't get into the school. You don't blah, 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 blah. The kind of the beauty of the fact that like, you know, the, the new generation is getting out of school to discover that the fucking jobs aren't there, that they were like went degrees yeah. that like, we can, you know, this is all bullshit, <laughs> totally. right? This is yeah. all a bunch of bullshit. Like what else is like, have we been lied to about, you know, it's, yeah, and it's, the, the intentions were all fine and good, you know, but it's just like, I don't know, you're suddenly confronted with this world that does not play by the rules that you were, you were, you were, <laughs> You know, you were told. in this idealistic world, it's like, yes, you yeah. go and you, you study <laughs> well, hard and you get the good grades. You get the really good grades, not just okay you grades. You like Trump. You get the really you good get grades. The you real build the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about this because I harp on the, and, edu- and he told me, I harp on the education system quite a bit. But and he talks about it. <laughs> but it, it's not even, it's, it's, it's it, the education system based on the generation the generations in which it was created actually works quite well. If you think about the industrial revolution, it's a perfect model. It's actually 
it's so beautiful. When you think about the industrialism of it, it's wonderful. Yeah. The problem is industry is not working the same way. And so our generation, the millennial generation has grown up into a world where the system is not the promise of the education system, but the education system is now catch Like, and I, I've, I've talked yeah. to teachers and they said, no, things are changing now. And I go, fucking hey, That's great. I'm glad to hear that yeah. because they realize it's like, no, we like kids are searching stuff online on their, on their phone. They have a portable computer wherever they go. Yeah. We had to go to computer class when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, yeah. go like, and do your research. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right. And you had to go to the library and pull it a book. Now there was a certain kind of effort strategy that came yeah. out of that, which was great. But right now we're dealing with a different world and it's not so relevant that you can fucking slap a piece of cheese on a piece of bread over and over a hundred times in some sandwich rotator belt. Like, and that's, there's, there's actual places like that. Yeah. Right. It's now it's like, you have to actually have some critical thought. You have to have some imagination, some Mm -hmm. creativity because robots can do those, those jobs. Right. And so we've been trained. My, my flaw is this. We've been trained like robots in a world that doesn't need <laughs> humans to be robots anymore. Yeah. Guys access our skills. Yeah. Yeah. So. I I have got to wrap this up very fast. Do you? Okay. I'm afraid. <laughs> I have to meet someone. Oh man. Is it bad that I'm saying this? I don't no, know. No, that's, right. <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. Right. I, I wanted to, to talk to you about your, that you would share with me like a, in oh, wow, time and, yeah, an absolutely. art project <laughs> that you had, you had done where you did like stop motion and stuff. I thought that was so awesome. Oh yeah. Um, oh my God. Okay. But man, I don't know if this is going to, Holy shit. We t- went on if a I, wild if, right I, here. if I get into, I, I, I have to probably got to go. If I get into this, it's going to be a 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> can, you, can you, can you do it in seven or eight? I can do it in five. <laughs> okay, do it in five. Is this we'll, the one I did in Do college? it in five. We'll wrap Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Like where you... So yeah, uh, when I kind of... I want to get into animation, right? Um, so when I decided... When I, when I decided I wanted to get into it was my final year in college. I did graphic design. Nothing to do with animation, but when I decided I wanted to do it is... There was one module for animation and there was four modules for design and I put all my effort into this one module. Hmm. The rest of them were left to the wayside completely. <laughs> um... And this was, I got one of my best friends, his name is Dara, uh, to do the stop motion with me. And it was for an app that I was developing. And uh, so my brother's, a, my brother's a welder. And I got him to weld this massive A-frame, like 20 feet high. And I mounted a camera on it. And I bought a load of wires to bring it down into my laptop. And I took 900 photos of Dara rolling around on this piece of paper. The paper's like the size of this whole apartment. Uh, rolling around this piece of paper from above. Then I animated over every scene, <laughs> over every single scene. It took about a month to do, and I had no experience whatsoever. And I remember my my lecturer telling me this is taking way too long. Like this is a ten credit module. Why are you doing this? Like you shouldn't put this much effort into it. You've other stuff to do. And I and I was like, I just want to do it. <laughs> I don't know. I just yeah. want to do it. My other stuff did go by the wayside, but that's when I kind of decided that I I like design, but I might have picked the wrong <laughs> the wrong area of design. You know. Uh, but I was saying to Evan that I used to stay up so late every night and I didn't even notice the time going by. Yeah. No, just, that's, and that's I what, that's what our, I think our life, that's what all of us want our life to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we want our life to be a kind of product of time is, it's like the Einstein time. It's just, it's, 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 it's not even on the register of the thing anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's an experience of living, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's relative. It's relative. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I other Einstein quote about relativity? What's that? Um so put your hand on a hot stove, a minute can seem like an hour. Talk to a hot girl, an hour can seem like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's relativity. Uh, that. Okay, There's so There's something kind of brilliant about that actually. It is all relative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, um, so, well, yeah. So let's uh, let's wrap this baby sweet. up. It's been good. That's I, mean, I know. Good. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like I, I like we need to like continue this on. We need to do a like part two. <laughs> yeah, I would love to do a part two. The reason I wanted to say the reason I need to go is I'm, I'm, I need I need to go see see about a girl. That's what I'm. Uh, yeah, you gotta see about <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting. Uh, I'm quoting. What you got? Yeah, um, we'll, we'll hunting. 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 I need yeah. to see about a girl. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, uh, so just very quickly, like, what did we talk about? We talked yeah, about. What did we learn what went on here. What? Yeah, we got. Well, into... I mean, we talked. We talked a bit about. Um, we talked a bit about experience. We talked a bit about the detachment. I remember, like, those were a couple things. Uh, we were talking about the transformation. You were talking yep. about um, the 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 artistry, uh, doing it for free, do it for free. Yeah. Um, and also, kind of going through that adult adulting of artistry. I think mm. that's not really talked about. That was one of the things that really hit me pretty big. Actually, I'm going to mm. share that. The big thing that hit me was when you were talking about how you've kind of put your art a little to the side. And I really related to that because I thought, yeah, that's kind of to be a professional artist. There isn't a bit of an adulting that has to happen. And I'm glad that like, I didn't let my adult responsibilities kill off my childhood dreams. And when you were sharing that, yeah. it really, it really just hit me in the heart because I was like, yeah, oh, I was like, I put off my acting for a bit. I mean, not my, my acting and my filmmaking. Yeah. I put it off for a bit so I could pay bills and take care of some shit. And it took a courage and a strength to come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I know it like when you're young, if I were to, I'm mean, just thinking of myself when I was 17 or like 21, if I would have told myself that I wouldn't have got it. But it, it, it actually, it's hard to temporarily put your dream to the side to take care of responsibility. And that's, and that's literally what I had yeah. to do. When you brought that up, I was like, Oh, that's like the adulting of, of, of living your dream. You kind of, it's part of the fucking, and that's what makes it more interesting. Yeah. The fact that you come back, you know, that you face the adversity with it. Yeah. Cause I never, when I was younger, I'm like, I'm never giving up. I'm never putting this to the side. But I was like at a stage in my life where it's easy to say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what I want to leave everybody with. Great. Sweet. Lads, it's actually been a pleasure. Yeah. I would love to do part two. All right. Yeah, Wednesday. Next... Come, you want to come in Wednesday? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you, can you, can you do, you want to do evening or, or afternoon? Uh, oh, what time do you usually do it at? We can do you should do it in the yeah. afternoon, but. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's dying out at the moment. So I yeah. can, can do it. If I can finish at seven, you could do it. We'll do a production meeting early. I don't know no time constraints to finish. We don't even have a guest for Wednesday. We got one for next Sunday, but we don't. I'll hundred percent do a package. Yeah, let's do it. I'd love to. Okay, we'll All right. Part two of this. What do you guys want to wrap up just for the time being? Something maybe we can continue on for next uh, podcast. Um, you know, I want to. Um, like why we're doing it to be continued. Yeah, there's just. I, it feels like there's something that's just like we haven't we haven't okay, uncovered I, yet. I, I uh, I'd like to talk about. Uh, I never touched on the fact that I like animation. I'd like to talk about why I feel like I want to get into animation a bit more. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I know. I feel like I, I want to get into like yeah. more of your artistic side and your artistic yeah. journey and the meaning of that for you. Yeah, I want to get into that too. So what do you want to leave people with just for now? Because they're going to tune into 102. Okay. You know, this is 101. It's perfect, actually. <laughs> yeah. This is literally podcast 101. 
So they're going to tune in for our, our first to be continued podcast at yeah. 102, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. 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 Okay. 102. Um, so what did, what, what do you want to leave them with just for now so far that we've kind of, well, for now, I never even touched on animation until the very last minute that Evan, Evan wanted to, wanted yeah. to talk about it. But, but not but just like what we're about to talk about, but like, what do you want to leave them with based on anything oh, that registered with this talk today? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very, very guilty of putting things off. <laughs> okay. uh, like I said, meeting Evan yourself, uh, first time I met Brandon, by the way, um, like meeting the two of you, especially Evan, like working him all the time, he just kind of inspires me to, to keep keep on trying to do what you want to do. Mm. And like I said, I, I, I need to get permanent residency, and it's just a stage to move on to another stage. Mm. Uh, so I did learn that, you know, it, like like you said the cocoon thing like it's a stage and I need to do this to get to another stage that's the big thing I got from today it's like that's don't cool. lose heart don't lose heart it's I'm not doing what I want to do right now I'm definitely not doing what I want to do right now yeah that's a great lesson that's, that's your be one of your blurbs don't lose heart don't lose heart don't lose heart okay what do you got Evan what do you want to leave people with um I mean, I, I, there's just, I don't know if I've quite assembled everything for this one. Like, like I said, some of this feels a little bit unresolved, but I'm, I'm really liked a lot of these things, but yeah, like coming, it's like a Netflix show, dude, coming, you just yeah, keep rewatching like, just like <laughs> kind of coming to grips with, yeah, the sort of, um, in some ways it reminds me of Sam, Sam's episode that we did, um, coming of age as an artist, mm. you know, and just like how things change your ideas of, of, yeah. of how things are when you're younger and creating to once you're kind of out in the world and you've, you know, you've taken some shots, you've been, oh, yeah. you've been facing some realities. You've had to start feeling the pressures of paying bills and stuff like that. And also time. There's yeah. this idea, there's this element of time that's been in this conversation that I feel like I want to continue on in terms of you know, when we, we say yes to ourselves, when we say yes to what we want to do and when we start to, um, give ourselves the time, the space and the permission to, to be the artist that we want to be. It sounds like we're all actually on the exact same page. It's like a rite of passage, a stage of life, just this kind of necessary adulting that I, that I put it as, but we all, it's interesting that we all kind of are at that same stage. Like that was the thing that stood out to us all. And I think we should take that and we should, we should talk more about this transitional stage in, in artistry. Yeah. It's been unique. It's yeah, been cool. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Part yeah. two. <laughs> Wednesday. Right. Part one. Tune in again, Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a uh, pleasure. Absolutely. Pleasure. Yeah. I've got to run. <laughs> That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.